Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 986, my interview with Shannon Hayes, discussing her book, Redefining British Shannon, welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast, great to have you here today. So great to be joining you, Lee. From the uh, Sapbush Farm, is that right? Sapbush Hollow Farm, yes, in upstate New York. I think that's a little bit of a ways out of your local zone, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit, just a little bit. The... Um, it's probably afternoon time there, yeah? Yes, it is. It's a sleepy afternoon. We're waiting for the thunderstorms to come rolling in right now. Really? Okay. So talk to me about your book. It's um, Redefining Rich. I love this topic because I think it's really important. And I think we um, we get sucked into this this idea of success and rich and, and all that. And it's maybe not the path for everyone or maybe not the path for anyone. But, yeah, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly my thought. You know, um, my foundational business, what I do here in upstate New York in the United States is I'm a farmer and a small farmer at that. And we are notorious victims, Lee. We just um, have a sense of, you know, we just got denied what the rest of the world got. We are famously underpaid and overworked. And yet... I chose to follow in the path the path that my grandfather led, that my father and mother led. Um, so I'm a third generation, and I'm bringing up another generation. And um, I've been working very hard to figure out how to diversify that farm income, how to stabilize, and how to enjoy the wealth that a farm would seemingly offer, but which is so commonly not seen here in the United mm. States. Here in and Australia too, I believe. Well, yeah, it's kind of a problem all over. And um, I had a period of time where I was feeling pretty sorry for myself about that and spent some time really trying to understand what it meant to be participating in this farm. I also have an on-farm cafe um, and why I felt like I was so overworked and so underpaid. And so this book is... A little bit about my journey, learning to, how to overcome that. And then the funny thing is, once I overcame it, then my financial situation totally changed. But I started, the first thing I did was have to, I had to redefine what it meant to be rich. Hmm. And so the book talks about that journey, but then it also delves into the money, like understanding the mechanics behind the money and um, and how to work with people to cultivate rich in our lives. And um, I realized while I was on my little pouting streak that um, one of the biggest problems um, that it's easy to see from when you're on a farm is that I was defining rich too narrowly. I think people often think of wealth in terms of how much money is there in the bank. Hmm. And when I was thinking that way, this was about five years ago, I was really, um, and I'd been in the business, I grew up in the business, so it had been a long time that I'd been on this victim mentality. I was just thinking that wealth was money in the bank. And my husband and I had a particularly rough morning in our cafe, and we closed that afternoon, we hung a gone fishing sign on the cafe door and disappeared into the woods hmm. for 48 hours with our kids. Yeah. And during that time, um, I sat there looking at 
the stone walls and the pastures and the forests and the fields and the streams, all these things that I saw myself as a sentinel here to protect. And I realized that as farmers, we are here to protect the resources. We are here to keep those resources flowing, producing food for the next generation. If we're into sustainability, this is really what we are raised to do. Hmm. And I realized, though, I saw myself as a guardian of the resource, but not as a one who benefits from it. And it was this very subtle mind shift where I started to realize I cared about the fresh air and the rich soil and the pure water, but I wasn't enjoying them. And started to say, well, what if I put, what are the things that are most important to me? And the first thing was the wilderness hmm. and the natural world. And then the other things that are most enjoyable to me are my family and good food and connections with my friends and neighbors. And all of those things I realized I had an abundance. And the money part was a tiny, tiny part of my overall wealth portfolio, if you will. Yeah. And when I shift that think shifted that thinking, the next thing I realized is I was constantly worried about the problems of running a farm. How do you make these numbers work? For generations, we've said that the small farm dream does not work. And yet here I was waking up every morning, working on the small farm dream, sweating about how I'm going to pay for the feed bill and how I'm going to pay for the insurance and how I'm going to make payroll. And um, in that same trip, I realized that I had chosen the problems and that other people choose different problems. Some people choose a commute to work every day. Some people choose the problems of working in a cubicle. That's not the problem I chose. The problem that I want to work with is how to steward our resources in a way that brings benefit and nourishes and restores my family, my community, and my planet. And yeah, it's really hard, but it's a fascinating problem. And so I wake up every morning with the coolest problems I've ever heard of. And I realized what I had chosen was worthy problems. And those problems were also part of my wealth because they're fascinating. They're enjoyable. And I stopped thinking, oh, it's just terrible that I don't have the money to pay this bill today and realized, oh, isn't that cool? I chose this fantastic puzzle where I'm going to figure out how to make this profitable. And it's a game and it's just an amazing, wonderful puzzle that I get to work with every day. Mm. And when I had that shift, then suddenly things got a whole lot better in this business. And um, we became quite rich <laughs> if you will yeah yeah so just flipping the switch and uh changing the focus yeah it was very important you say it changed your because obviously you loved the land obviously there's some part of farming that you've grown up with that you really did appreciate but you just weren't connecting with that does that sound about right the i think so i think I, I i loved it i mean from the time i was uh you know I've always been scrambling in these hillsides working with other farmers and, you know, I'm supposed to be mending a barbed wire fence and I'm looking out at the view. So I was always 
captivated by it, but there was this this subtle thing where I thought that was somehow wrong mm. and that I had to focus <laughs> on these problems. And I just didn't have this understanding of how, no, no, look out, you know, that light on those mountains and the way these animals are, that is part of your pay. That is what you do and drink it in and love it. You're here to enjoy it and you're here to enjoy that it is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think a lot of people get lost? I mean, they, they probably love what they do, but they just get lost in it because they're, you know, like yourself, their focus was in the wrong area. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with how we understand our problems. Hmm. Um, I think people love what they do, but then they start to see the fact that the problem that's in front of them that they chose as a worthy challenge, um, they see it as what's wrong with their lives. Hmm. And in fact, if you love what you do and you have a worthy challenge, then that worthy challenge keeps you engaged with your life. It's what pulls you out of bed every morning and fascinates you. I think we're always on this pursuit of a happily ever after, this time when the problems are gone and we don't have problems anymore. And I think happily ever after would probably be really boring and would probably be a setup for even worse problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think I think we overlook that our worthy challenges are exactly what we're here to do. And they are part of our wealth if they're good, worthy challenges. Hmm. Yeah, I think I was speaking to someone yesterday. I think if you if you lose the passion for what you do, there's there's a disconnect there, isn't there? And and why would you keep doing it? Yeah, I do think so. I do think so. Unless you can redefine those problems, of course. And maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Yes. I think I was on the cusp of losing my passion. I remember I had um, the morning when I broke down, I was uh, getting ready to open for breakfast and I pulled these beautiful quiches out of the oven and dropped them on the floor. I was just behind everything. I was worrying about uh, all the financial issues of the farm and dropped these quiches on the floor and then burned myself on my oven as I was doing it and crumbled to my knees on the floor in a puddle of tears and literally had burns that looked like shackles on my wrist. And I thought, I have made the worst decision of my life. I have the most horrible boss in the world and it's me. And it was, yeah, it was this real crisis point. And yeah, I could have walked at that point. Of course, mm. I don't know where I would have walked to. There's not a lot around here. Yeah, no, no, it looks like a lovely location, actually. It looks beautiful. The it farm there. Mm -hmm. The um, how do you find how do you define success? Um, for me, the success is how how close I am to the soil mm -hmm. and how easy it is for me to put my toes into it, and uh, it's about the people. Um, the people that I love and the people who love me back and realizing that my day is filled with these great people. I do apologize. Got everything going on in the background there, don't you? <laughs> yes. Everything is going on in the background. Um, and I've got things turned off. Um, forgive me. So the people around you, yeah? Yeah, let's let's go with that now. I think we got everybody quiet now. Okay. Um, yeah, for me, what defines success is happiness and the people who I love, who love me back, who are in my life, and my ability to just walk out the door and put my toes into the soil and have that near me at all times. So basically, you know, just 
getting to spend my days the way I want to spend my days. It really isn't about a title. Um, so really is that pretty much happiness? Success is happiness? Yes, very yeah. much so. Because it sounds like, you know, if you have the people around you that you love and, and you get to do every day what you love to do, putting your feet in the soil, etc. That sounds like a pretty yeah. happy life. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you go about like explaining to someone to redefine their sex success because, or redefine, you know, what rich looks like to them? Because I think we are so externally influenced by this idea of being rich or being successful that we often don't connect with our own passions and, and doing what we like to do like you, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, in the book, I talk a lot about the quality of life statement and uh, we spend a lot of time asking the reader to really craft a quality of life statement rather than a mission statement, rather than a series of goals. Sit down and draft with those people in your family a quality of life statement where you're looking at what do you want your days to be looking like and what do you want, you know, what do the other people in your family that you are living with want their days to be looking like? Um, and what kinds of problems do you wish to be working on? So not, you know, I want to be a world famous thus and such, and I want to, you know, sell this many widgets. None of that. Quality of life. How do you want to feel when you wake up in the morning? Hmm. What kind of food do you want to have access to? Who do you want sitting across from you at your breakfast table? Do you want to be able to nap during the day? Do you want to be able to... Uh, create with your hands? Do you need to be doing physical work to be enjoying yourself? And so we start with building that. And then every decision that gets made from here on out bounces right back to that quality of life statement, mm. testing that quality of life statement out. And that's where the purpose comes into it. Yeah. Yeah. Having purpose and things you do that align yourself with, with exactly that, the quality of life statement, the, um, yeah, the need to align yourself with your values and and really thinking about the things that bring you joy and, and really thinking about that, you know, how do I want to feel? How do I want my days to look? Um, is profoundly life-changing if you can really connect with that and actually do that task. And it's not something that you do in an hour and then suddenly, you know, things are all good, but it's something you've got to really just keep connecting to. Um, yeah. You know? you know, we just, for a while, we hung it up on our wall and every decision came back to it. Hmm. You know, if... I mean, it's funny when you when you put it up there, it, you're exactly right. It may not be there in five minutes after you put it up on the wall. It may not be there a week afterwards. But if you want to be able to take an afternoon nap, if you want to be able to not rush in the morning, then every time something blips in on the computer that's asking for your time, for your attention, every time the phone rings asking for your time and your attention and you're reflecting on, wait a minute, I want my afternoons to be quiet I want my morning to be slow. Hmm. Then you start making those decisions. You start looking at that quality of life and shaping your life and your goals in that direction. Hmm. Yeah, 100%. Do you think a lot of people listening out there might go, yeah, that sounds great, but you know, I've got to, I've got to pay the bills and, and I, I can't afford to have an afternoon nap as much as I'd like to? <laughs> um. I think it's very possible that people are going to feel that way. But I want to say that, you know, 40 years ago, none of what I'm doing seemed possible either. Hmm. And a lot of times we become victims of the present circumstance and we say, this is the way it's got to be. And we don't ask if 
this is the way we want it to be because we're afraid of the answer or we say, well, it can't be. So I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to entertain that. But the truth is, um, when I finished grad school and came back to the family farm, you know, people thought there must have been something wrong with me. Why would I come back to this community, which considered was considered completely down and out and with no future? Um, but I had a vision. I had a quality of life statement of what my life wanted. I wanted in my life what I wanted it to include. And it was these mountains and stone walls. And I started making one decision at a time, one decision at a time. And you get there. And so now it looks like it's easy. Well, of course, it's natural. It's there. I've been chipping away at this for the last 20 plus years. Mm. Um, so it always starts somewhere. And you'd be surprised if you're really intentional about saying, no, I really want my life to move in this direction. You'll be surprised how many opportunities will come up in the course of a week when you can start moving in that way. Yeah. Had a, I think there's a bit of an issue here with short terminism where we go, yes, this is what I want my life to look like, you know, the big vision, how it's going to feel, the naps in the afternoon, the hills, the meadows, the stone walls, whatever. And then we get into it and we we have this short-term mindset, not this long-term one day at a time, one step at a time, you know, because I, I think that's where a lot of people fail in their, in their pursuit is because they just they have that short-term mentality and if things don't happen that quickly... They just stop and give up and say, this is not going to work. You know, I love, I love your thinking on that. I think you're absolutely right. And I think what's happening is you're listening to somebody who is raised on a farm hmm. generation after generation. And you are talking about the professionals in delayed gratification. <laughs> um, hmm. We are so used to not getting what we want on a certain day. Yeah. Um, you know, but see, the modern society doesn't, we don't, we haven't got that image out there. We don't, you know, tell people that. I mean, look at the politicians in Australia. Yeah. All short-term You know, focused. we all talked about how drawn out COVID was. Hmm. Um, and honestly, from a farmer's perspective, it was one growing season. Yeah. Uh, um, and, un and over unbelievably quickly compared to, you know, how it may have been for other people. So I do think that probably I have a different perspective on yeah, how fast you should expect the results. If you put a baby chick on the ground that you're going to have for food, it's not going to be ready for a couple months. If you're going to um, raise a beef animal, you've invested two years before you see anything to eat. Hmm. So, um, a farmer tends to have a longer view. And I do think that we live in a society that expects instant, immediate gratification for our decisions. And we need to shake free of that. It's not helping us. Yeah. Yeah. So you've sort of just you've gotten that. It's just been bred into you, this uh, long-term focus. And I think we've got to breed it into ourselves if we don't have it. But that means getting out there. It means just doing that one thing every day. Um, whatever that might be, and just having faith, I guess, in that process that, you know, the results will come and reconnecting with that vision. Because I sat in Japan once upon a time and thought, how great would it just be to be here with my family, to be able to wake up, to be able to write when I want to write, to be able to eat nice food that um, partly I grow, you know, getting in the garden and just looking out to a nice view of hills or green or mountains or whatever it was near some water, you know, and that's the sort of vision that I have. 
And I may not be living that right now because I've moved back from Japan. Um, but certainly that's where I want to end up, you know, traveling and, and living that, that dream. But that means I've got to do the work now and, and solve the problems to get there. Right. And that is the fun. The funny thing is, you know, when we look back, if we look back at our quote unquote hard times and we often have, those are our fondest memories. Mm. <laughs> and that gets back to enjoying the problem of getting there, enjoying the puzzle. Yeah. Well, it's that, it's that journey, isn't it? That, and as long as you're, you know, passionate about it, um, then great, you know, it'll, it'll happen. And I, I think if, I you, do if you don't have that passion, then it's going to be very difficult. And it doesn't mean it has to be, the task doesn't have to be that, that fun. But the the thrill of the, the the hunt, I guess, or the the thrill of solving those puzzles, those problems, that's what's it about. That's the fun. And you know, I, I watch um, sometimes if you don't have the passion, then it might not be the dream you want. Hmm. You know, um, you know, you can oh, talk yeah, to a good point. kid about about a kid might tell you, I I want to be a rock star. Hmm. Okay, well, you know, it takes ten thousand hours. To, to become a master musician, 10,000 hours. So if you want to be a master musician, by the time you're 20, you've got four hours of practice a day. And then it turns out, well, <laughs> they're not so happy with the idea of practicing four hours a day. Well, how do you feel with that instrument in your hand? How do you feel singing for, you know, putting all this time in? You have to love the work getting there. And if you don't love the work getting there, then maybe that's not the vision of the life that you want. Yeah. Maybe you've based it on too many external realities. Yeah. Good point. Do you think Do you think the world's sort of shifting to this more entrepreneurial life? Like I'm just looking around here and I don't know. I, I mean, I know there's still a lot of big companies and, and employees and staff working for these companies, but I also see at the same time a lot of people doing their own thing, setting up their own businesses and, and figuring out a way to earn a nice income um, but also to live that that quality of life. Because most people, I don't know, I think if you ask anyone, do you really want to be working, you know, all your life doing something you don't like? Well, no one's going to say yes to that. Do you want to work seven days a week? Well, look, I could probably say, you know, if I love what I do, then yeah, that's okay. I don't mind getting up early and, you know, writing a blog about my industry and then doing the grind throughout the day. Like it's a, it's a bit of a thrill to me. Um, but a lot of people want that lifestyle, yeah? And that can include enjoying what you do and a blend of it. But is it a balance or is it a blend? I think that depends on the person. Hmm. But I do think you're right. I think the world is changing. You know, here in the United States, women, as a result of the pandemic, have exited the workforce en masse. And everyone's talking about, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? There's a labor shortage. There's a labor shortage. And um, a lot of people are going home and they're saying, wait a minute what do I want? And I think what you're going to see, what we're going to see here is a form of entrepreneurship that's coming up. That's like redefining rich about saying, okay, I'm going to make my life work and I'm going to build an economy that works for me. Hmm. And I'm going to build a way of life where I'm not at the grind, where I'm not a wage slave all the time, where every time I do get up, the problems I face are the problems I chose, the problems I'm passionate about. I think we are uh, coming out of this period of time with this unbelievable opportunity to build lives that make sense. Hmm. 
And we've all been shaken up enough that we're all really accustomed to being shaken up now. It's not the disruption is is hardly what any of us can fear anymore. We're so used to disruption, for goodness sake now. And I do think that we are about to see a boom in small entrepreneurship. Yeah. Kind of banking on it with this book, don't you think? Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> the um, yeah, it'll be, you said a whole lot of uh, women have uh, exodus the workforce there. Yes. Hmm, they're right. Why is that? How? It, why is that? Hmm. Obviously, COVID. Uh, but um, well, it's kind of interesting that um, a lot of them. I mean. They all have different reasons, but a lot of it had to do with, you know, children were at home and they had to, they couldn't deal with the, the job and getting their kids for online lessons at school. Um, and so they needed to be home to take care of the kids. The kids were not in the school during the day. So um, they just had a lot of demands put on them. So a lot of them left and a lot of them, I think, just said, you know what, this isn't working. Why am I exposing myself and my family to any risks or dangers? I'm going to reshape my life. So I think some walked away that way. Uh, cost of living went down when everyone started spend having more um, home-centered lives, um, which is interesting. I, I have a, another whole book on this called Radical Homemakers. Mm. And, um, so it's, it's another whole subject that I had written actually before the pandemic about people leaving the workplace to have a home hearth-based life. Yeah. And I look the social economic aspects of it. So um, I do have my suppositions about it. I know that's not exactly what you wanted to hear about today, but um, it's really happening now in mass. And I do think that what happens, what I noticed when I did my research before on Radical Homemakers, um, people would leave the workforce. And the first thing they did was reclaim um, something that I talk about in depth in the book, all these uh, sources of non-monetary income, realizing how much they do not have to earn if they're working from home or if they have a home-centered life, if they can cook and take care of their families and, and not be so stressed, suddenly life isn't as expensive. And I do talk about that a lot in Redefining Rich, um, about how that non-monetary income actually becomes a huge source of wealth. But one thing I noticed when I did that research on people who had left the workforce in Radical Homemakers was after that period of time where they reclaimed skills, they often started rebuilding their economy. They started rebuilding a life that was going to make sense. So maybe they got through this period of time when the, the kids really needed their attention all the time. And then they could start thinking about well, what, what do I want to do to change the world, to make the world a better place? And so you would see very innovative entrepreneurship that was very centered on family, community, planet. So, um, mm. I've been researching this phenomenon since uh, before 2010. So I've got a lot of years seeing this and redefining rich is where I've now looked at, okay, well, what happens when they do after they've recovered that non-monetary wealth? How do we start building um, this new economy that makes sense? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you could, you could certainly see the idea of, of being at home and, and doing nothing with your time. Uh, well, you know, watching episodes of whatever's on in the middle of the day. Um, but, you know, if you have purpose and passion and, and you go home and you're there with the kids and you've got that lifestyle, you're doing a bit of cooking, you know, who cares if you're doing that for 10 years while the kids go through school? And slowly you're building up and then you can do something else after that. You right, know, you and can... that has very powerful social and economic value. And um, one of the things I talk about in Redefining Rich, um, I, I talk about... Um, 
the primary forms of income if you're going to make this life work. It's not just, oh, I'm going to go start a business and that's what I'm going to do. I'm very careful to explain um, how to make the finances work with Redefining Rich. And, you know, you, you might have um, a job that you really honor and love and it's part of your quality of life. So a real job that's not soul sucking. Another form of income is business income. Um, another form of income is passive income. And then the other one, um, that is critical, it's huge in my life, is non-monetary income. And I talk about in the book how you need three of these. You don't just choose one. You need three. Hmm. Any, You've got four here, choose three. And the non-monetary income in our family, which started with this radical homemaking idea, you know what, I'm going to stay home, I'm going to take care of my kids, it ended up being huge for us, absolutely huge huge. My family's non-monetary income at the time I wrote the book, I added it all up. It came to over $70,000 in things that we were doing for ourselves that we did not have to pay other people to do, whether it was growing our food or um, in-kind trades that I worked out to get all of our fiber optic internet. Um, the fact that uh, I had a daughter who had cerebral visual impairment and um, the choice to put her the only schools that could take her would have cost $40,000 a year. And I said, okay, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to be her therapist. And I trained myself to do that work. That was $40,000 a year back in our pockets. It's huge. Hmm. It's huge. So and you're actually, not outsourcing. You're actually being there for the family too, which is what I love. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. It is really phenomenal. And I know everyone's really scared because every employer needs people to fill their jobs right now in the United States. Um, but again, this is a shakeup. This is a shakeup. And we might see some fabulous, fabulous entrepreneurship coming out of it. And I think the small mom and pop businesses um, are going to be what pulls us through, you know, when we're innovative and we're creating new ways of doing work, new ways of having a work-life balance. Mm. Um, it's these small entrepreneurs who can really be creative and find those pathways. Yeah. Yeah. I think the pandemic has sort of opened our eyes to that, you know, about, you know, what was missing in our lives if you worked all that time and you didn't have the time for the family and, you know, mum and dad are both working and, you know, you're outsourcing all these things for your children rather than being there yourself. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. And I think COVID sort of uh, shaken us to that point to understand, hey, yeah, there might be an alternative here. Yeah, there really has been. And, you know, there are generations of people who have figured this out before, too. Hmm. Uh, I, it was fascinating. Um, back in, it was in 2008, during our financial crisis, our last major financial crisis, I got to cross the country and interview families who were doing this wow. and sort of tease apart how these dynamics worked. It was really fascinating. Hmm. You got an interesting little path there that you've been on. The um, yeah, I know. Look, in, the, in I don't know how it is in the states, but the wages here haven't risen. You know, they're they're not rising, uh, and certainly now it seems like inflation's going to happen, and the cost of goods, you know, necessities as mm -hmm. well, is going to increase, and the wages that people are on perhaps won't sustain that, and they'll be forced into a position of saying, well, what what do I have to sacrifice here? Do I keep my job and you know sacrifice more of these living standards that we you know have come to appreciate? Or do I do something different? Do I make a pivot and shift? And, um, you know, again, I think it, it can be done. I remember when my wife was working a full-time job, earning a fairly good income as a manager. And, um, you know, our first child was going into daycare and costing quite a bit. 
Um, and she quit that job. And I was so happy that day when she quit um, because it made us realize that, you know what? We actually didn't need that income. It actually created more stress in our lives, meant more less time for each other and our child. Um, and there was a different path. And, you know, now she set up her own business um, and she works hard at it and she's really good at it, but she doesn't have to do it on someone else's time. She can do it on her time and she can still be there for the kids, you know, which is what she's great at. Yeah. You know, you are hitting really heavily on, I believe it's chapter four in the book. We actually have, I have two, two fictitious characters I talk about in the, in the book, um, responsible Bert and reckless Betty. <laughs> and, hmm. um, reckless Betty decides she's going to have her own job and she's going to operate, uh, she's going to, uh, rather work for herself and she's going to operate this little tiny health food store in the down and out urban area. And her brother, responsible Bert, is going to have a job, a sensible job, and he's going to have his sensible house. And um, we show how responsible Bert on the books is earning, you know, a six-figure income. And Reckless Betty brings in a total of $12,000 a year. And we put them up next to one another, and I show how with tax codes and cost of living and this idea of non-monetary income, how at the end of the day, reckless Betty is taking home twice what responsible Bert takes home. Hmm. It's amazing how much conventional employment costs us. And so we have to, if we take conventional employment, it really, really must speak to our passions, to our quality of life. Hmm. Um, if it doesn't, it's probably costing you way more than you realize. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Do you think it's fear that um that puts us off doing something or following this path, our own path? Abs- absolutely. I think there's two things. I think there's conditioning. Mm-hmm. I think we are all conditioned. You know, you asked me at the top of this, how do we define success? And I think most of us have had that defined for us. And one very important developmental thing that has to happen is what you said. How do you define success? Mm -hmm. We are used to success being defined by the teachers, by the universities, by the jobs. And success is often in terms of, okay, you've achieved this level. Now you get get graduated to this level. You know, you've gone from third grade to fourth grade, fourth grade to fifth grade. Oh, now you've graduated to college. Now you've graduated from college and you have a diploma and now you get your entry level job. And it's all prescribed for us. And that's what we think as we climb is success. But success is actually what we say it is, Hmm. what we want in our lives. And it has nothing to do with those prescriptions that are laid out before us. And, you know, if we really do the soul, the, the soul searching, we might be surprised about how each of us defines that question. Yeah. I think it's a very important thing to do. Um, I'm going to encourage people to pick up a copy of your book, Redefining Rich. It's on Amazon, yeah? Yes, it is. And you got a website too. I do. I have a website, sapbush.com, and um, I have a weekly blog that I do during the growing season, which it's the growing season right now for us. So that blog is running right now, and it's tied to a podcast. It's uh, the Hearth of Sapbush Hollow podcast, Lessons, Chronicles and Lessons from This Life that I'm leading. So it's just storytelling about what happens around here each week as I discover and learn raising this family and living this life. I love the look of your farm. 
<laughs> Looks like so much fun. It's a lot of fun, especially when you get to do it with your kids. Yeah, that's awesome. Love it. Well, guys, I'll stick the links in the show notes. Uh, Shannon, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Uh, Lee, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your forbearance when that overweight dog started panting and pacing and the phone started ringing. Good pacing gracious. around. That's all right. It's part of the process. <laughs> um, episode 986, guys, at thehiddenwide.com. Until next time, peace and passion. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there. And also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there. Um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Martin Until next time, peace, passion and purpose. See you soon.